Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew 13, we'll continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews. He is the Messiah and the Savior and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we've seen a lot in our study. We have seen, first of all, the background of Jesus the King, and then we saw, and that, of course, was the, his lineage and who he is the descendant of, and then we'd say the program of the King, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen the power of the King as he's done these miracles. We've seen the teaching of the King, but in the last few chapters, some things have changed. There's been rejection. They're beginning to reject him. The religious leaders, of course, rejected him from the beginning. But as the rejection comes, he changes. He has been presenting the fact that he is the Messiah and the Savior and the King and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now he changes. He changes his method of teaching. He begins to teach in parables. And we saw that, that he taught in parables so that, that the people who were believing in him and actually being with him could understand more and more, but the people who were rejecting him and had rejected him would not be able to understand some things. And so in chapter 13, he actually gives seven parables, and we're going to see the last one this morning as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Well, you know, as you, as you look around and you think, our world's getting worse and worse. I mean, we all know that. I mean, you look at it, the things that we would say were inconceivable even 20 years ago. People wouldn't say that. People wouldn't do that. They're doing that. And, and not only in our culture, but in our political realm and everything else, we realize that we're living in the end times. A lot of times people will come up to me and they say, you think we're in the last days? According to the scripture, the last days are any time after Jesus Christ. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, he ascended back into heaven. We're in the last days. But as as Paul writes and Peter writes, as it gets toward the end of the last days, things get worse and worse and worse. At Stillwater Bible, we love to study the end-time events, and a lot of people like to talk about them. We've done a study uh, in Grow Group on end-time events. We've studied the book of Daniel. We've studied the book of Revelation. We've gone through and put together the end-time events. Well, this morning, as we continue in both Matthew 13, he talks about the end-time, and in Matthew 24 and 25, he talks about the end-time. So let me, let me remind you of the end-time events just so you'll get them, and of those who are not able to see there, you can look back on that slide back there. As you know, that the first coming of Jesus Christ is when he came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, ascended back to heaven. That's called the first coming of Christ. There is a second coming of Christ to the earth, and that's right there where he comes back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and sets up a kingdom in which he rules for a thousand years. It's called the millennial kingdom, but it's also called the eternal kingdom, because in First Peter he talks about that kingdom will go on forever, uh, and that we'll see that. So that's the first coming, that's the second coming. We are in the, after Jesus died and rose again, we're in what's called the church age, in which we who believe in Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you trust in Christ, you're called the church. The very next event will be the rapture. It could happen at any second. There's no signs. Nothing has to be done for Jesus to come back. He'll come in the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him. That is not the first coming or the second coming. That's a coming in the clouds. First coming and second coming all come to the earth. There will be a time period on the earth called the tribulation. It will go for seven years. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back to set up the kingdom. These parables of the kingdom that he's talking about, he's dealing with the, the, the kingdom, basically the start of the kingdom and the thousand-year reign. And he's talking about how it's going to function. The parable this morning is going to be how Jesus Christ makes a separation. He separates the believers from the unbelievers when he comes back the, at the second time to rule as the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, some people uh, don't 
don't think you ought to study the end time events. I've had people come to me, not, not in our church, but I've had other people come up and say, oh, why do you even study that? I mean, nobody can know it anyway. Well, you can know it, even though you have to, you have to look at a lot of places in the Bible to put it together that you can know it. Uh, some people say it doesn't really make any difference. Yes, it does make a big difference. It makes a difference if you're ready as you're, as you're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's the rapture. It makes a difference in how you will be in the kingdom. How will you live? If if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a son of the kingdom or a child of the kingdom, but what responsibilities will you have? And it's based on how you live even today. Well, this morning we're going to see Jesus finishing up his parables of the kingdom. And if you notice, look at verse 47. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's given these parables uh, about the kingdom. The rejection has begun, and we have been seeing it over and over. The religious leaders, every time Jesus does a miracle, When he does a miracle, instead of saying, wow, that's amazing, they say, that's done in the power of the devil. And so they've rejected him all the way. And not only that, the the nation as a whole is beginning to reject him. So what we see is the kingdom is the time Jesus Christ comes to the earth to rule and reign as Messiah and King. And that's why I put that chart up, just so you could see it. And that's when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we've seen the parables, and we've seen that the parables are to teach, to reveal the truth to the believer, but to conceal the truth for the unbeliever. And let me remind you, these are the seven parables that we have seen. in the last one. This morning, we're in the last one. The first parable, the parable of the sower, basically showed the response to the Word of God. One person never got the message. Another person believed in the Messiah, believed, got the message, but never grew because they had no root. And the other one, the next one, believed, but they never grew because they, everything got choked out. But the, the last one believed and produced 30, 60, 100. The second one was about the field, and it showed that sometimes the believer, there's believers and unbelievers together, and one of these days, God's going to separate. The mustard seed and the leaven all went together. It showed that the kingdom of heaven starts out small and gets bigger. Last, two, last week, we saw the hidden treasure and the pearl, and the hidden treasure and the pearl shows that the kingdom of heaven, being in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is greater than anything anybody could ever imagine. So it's the most valuable thing of all. And then finally, the one this morning, dealing with the dragnet, and it deals with the fishermen and, and most many of his disciples were fishermen, and they understood this completely, and we'll see that as we go through it. Our, our breakdown of the passage this morning, we're going to see the dragnet. That's the division in verses 47 through 52, and then he goes to his hometown. They've already rejected him once. I, do you remember this? Do you remember that when he left after his baptism from John the Baptist and after all that, and he goes up north, he goes to his hometown, And they open the scroll of the scripture and he opens it up and he reads it and it talks about the day of the Lord and the Messiah and he says, today this is fulfilled in your eyes. He's saying, I'm the Messiah and the Savior. And they got so mad at him, they tried to kill him. So he left there and went to a town called Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. That's where his headquarters has been. As we see the end of this passage, Jesus is going to go back to his hometown. He's going to go back to Nazareth. Well, let's start and let's see. First of all, the dragnet, okay? Let's see what he's going to say. This is the last of his parables. Look at verse 47. He said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. Well, the first time you hear dragnet, you may have grown up like me and you hear a dragnet and you think of the, you know, the police show. But the dragnet was what the, they would do in that day. They would get two boats 
and they had a, a net that was weighted at the bottom. They'd put a net down between the two boats, and as the boats came towards shore, it, the net would just gather and c collect fish, and then when they got to the shore, they pulled the net in, and they had it full of fish. Now, some of the fish were good fish that they could eat, and some of the fish were not good fish that they would eat. So that's what the dragnet is. And so look what he says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind, literally every class. Uh, by the way, there were, there was, there's a fish there that if you go to Israel today, there's a fish called St. Peter's fish, and it's a fish about that big, and that's, that's, everybody loves that fish. That's, that's a good one. There are other things like eels, and there's other kind of fish in there that people go, well, you don't eat that one. And so what happened is they would get up on the shore, and they had all these fish, and so they're going to say, good one, good one, good one, bad, bad one, good one, good one, bad. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to divide it. Look what he says. And when it was filled, they drew, up, drew it up on the beach, and they sat down, and they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. And so that's what they're going to do. They put the good fish in containers because they're going to go sell them. That's what they are. They're fishermen. But the bad fish, it's, the word bad there actually means rotten. Now, it doesn't mean that it was rotten, rotten, but it means it was no good, that somebody would look at that and go, no, I won't, yeah, I won't eat that. No. And so that, they cast those away. They threw them away. Now, you, you already, just by what you know about the Bible, you already know what this parable is about. You already know that the good fish and the bad fish. You already know that the good fish are going to be those who believe in Jesus Christ and the bad fish are going to be those who reject Jesus Christ. You, you know it. And, and so he's going to talk about it. Look what he says. So it will be at the end of the age. He says, when the end of the age comes, this is what's going to happen. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them in the furnace of fire in a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the end of the age is what he says, just before the time before the kingdom. Now let me show you. This is the end of the age right here. This is the age. This is the Jewish age. By the way, if you go all the way back to Daniel chapter 9, God promised the Jewish people 490 years to do what he wanted them to do. At the death of Jesus Christ, he had used up 400, and the Jewish people had used up 483 years. After Jesus died and rose again, sent him back into heaven, it's like the watch stopped. We're in the church age. One of these days, we're going to be taken out. And then the Jews have their final seven years. It's called the tribulation. That's why the tribulation is seven years long. People come up and say, I wonder why the tribulation is seven years long. Because the Jewish people got 490. They used up 483. They have seven left. That's going to be the end of the age. And the end of the age is when Jesus Christ comes back to set up the kingdom. He says this in verse 49. It will be, so it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them in the furnace of fire in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about at, at this parable when Jesus Christ comes back and the wicked, which basically are called the bad fish here, uh, in the other parable they were called the, the tares, they're going to be cast into the, the furnace of fire. They're going to be cast in the lake of fire and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me show you something. Let me go to the next slide here. Let me read something. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 25, and we will get to this one of these days as we keep going through the book. Uh, this is Jesus in Matthew 25, basically telling what happens. Here's, here's what he says. He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's when he comes as the king, all the angels will be with him. He will sit on his throne. That's when he sets up his kingdom. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another. Now, in this parable over here, it's different kind of fish. Listen to this. 
He said he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats will be on his left. And so he's, that, that's Matthew, and this is the same thing. Separation is coming as Jesus comes to set up the kingdom. And this is that same chart, and when he comes right there, there's going to be a separation. In one of the parables, it's wheat and tares. In one of the parables, it's good fish and bad fish. In Matthew 25, it's sheep and goat. And so that's what it's going to be. There's going to be a separation coming. And so verses like Matthew 24, 29 through 31, which we just talked about, Matthew 25. Let me read Matthew um, 24. says this. It says, but immediately after the tribulation, that's after that seven-year time period, the sun will darken, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes will mourn. And he will come forth with angels with a great trumpet, and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. It all says the same thing. When Jesus Christ comes as the king of kings, I think I can go back. Let me, let me do this. It all says that when Jesus Christ comes right here, there's going to be a division. And if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're going to be with him to go into the kingdom. If you have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior, that's going to be the tares, that's going to be the bad fish, that's going to be the goats, and there will be a separation coming. So here's a question for you to think about. If, and of course, what's going to happen first, well, this will happen. We'll be taken out. The believers will be taken off the face of the earth. But at that kingdom time, here's the question. When the kingdom comes, will you be going into the kingdom with Jesus Christ or will you be separated from him? Now, the basis of this is not good works or being a good person or going to church or doing anything. The basis of whether you have eternal life and you go into the kingdom is based on the fact that you have put your trust in Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. And he says, whoever believes in me will never perish, but have everlasting life. So if you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you will be, you're called a child of the kingdom, a son of the kingdom, and you'll be in the kingdom. If you have not trusted Christ, it doesn't matter how good you are, how good you think you are, how nice you are, how long you've gone to church, it doesn't make any difference. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you do not have eternal life, and you're not a child of the kingdom. You can trust Jesus Jesus Christ, right where you're sitting right this second, you don't have to do anything. You have to believe that Jesus Christ will give you eternal life, that he is your Savior, that he died for you and rose again, and you trust in him and him alone to give you eternal life. That's all it is. And the moment you trust in him, you're saved. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16, God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son, that's Jesus, to die and rise again, that whosoever, that's any person, will we'll believe in him, put your faith in him. You will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. I'm going to give you this other verse. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking. I say to you, who hears my word and believes him who sent me, believe, has what? Present tense, eternal life. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life and you have eternal life right now. Eternal life is not what you get when you die. Eternal life is what you get when you believe. He says, has eternal life, and notice, and does not come into judgment. You'll never be judged. You'll never be separated, but has passed out of death into life. So every one of us in this room, I hope every one of you would say right now, I am a child of the kingdom. I have trusted in Jesus Christ. And, and when the kingdom comes, when there's the final division there, 
you will be with Jesus Christ to go into the kingdom. And so look what he, he, he says in verse 49 again. At the end of the age, the angel will come forth, take the wicked from among the rice, throw them into the furnace of fire, and the place they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth because it's going, to be, it's going to be a horrible time. And then he looks to his men. See, he's been teaching the disciples, and then, but there's a big crowd around. So he's teaching the disciples. So look what he says to them. Have you understood these things? And they said, yes. You know why? Because they could. They're believers. They're beginning to understand some of these truths. And, uh, and we, that's the key is that we need to know the Scripture. It amazes me how little most believers know about the Bible. I mean, even believers who've been in churches. I mean, there are people who've been in church all their life, and if you even ask them, what exactly is the gospel message? What is the message we proclaim to people? They're not even clear on it. They don't even know. And if you start asking them basic truths about the Bible, they go, I I don't know that. Well, I've, I've heard that, but I don't understand it. We need to know the Scripture. We need to understand it. Look what he says. Have you understand all these things? And they said, yes. And so Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, that means every one of you who are now beginning to understand the things about the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out his treasures, both new and old. He said, I'm teaching you old things and new things. Because if you ask them at this time about the kingdom, they would say, well, I know certain things. But he's teaching them more and more. So there's the old things and the new things. And that's what he's been teaching. Old truths are the things found, what we'd say is in the Old Testament, but the new truths are the mysteries of the kingdoms, the things that he's been teaching them here. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing as far as what you know about the Scripture? As a believer, let's say that you know Jesus Christ your Savior, you have eternal life. Uh, when the rapture comes, you'll be taken off the face of the earth. You're going to be in the kingdom of Jesus. You're going to be in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. But here's the question. How much of God's word do you know and understand now? Could you take somebody else and show them from the Bible how they could have eternal life and how they could know for sure that they would go to heaven, they would have eternal life? Could you show somebody how the Bible fits together Could you show them, uh, teach them the book of Matthew or other things? Could you, do you have a basic understanding? The Bible tells us we need to study it. Second Timothy says, study to show yourself approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing, handling accurately the word of God. If you say, well, you know, I don't know very much. Okay, well, we got a bunch of classes on Wednesday nights. We've got a class we call the 412 Foundations that Brian teaches. He teaches it incredibly well. I mean, it's unbelievable how good he does in there, how good he teaches it, and you can gain a lot of good basic truths about, about how the Bible fits together. And then I've got a class called the 2-2. I'm not teaching it this semester, but I will soon. It take, gives you a lot. Uh, I've got one on the, uh, the, 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 uh, in the book of Genesis about the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and then there's a ladies' class, and then there's another class uh, that Jeremiah's teaching, which deals with Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, so it's amazing. That's just the semester. Every semester we teach different courses. You can take those courses. You can gain an understanding. You begin to say, wow, I'm beginning to put together the Bible. So even this that we've taught this morning, most people, if you started saying, show us the end-time events and how they fit together, most people say, well, you can't know them. Yes, you can, and you can put them together just like we put them together, and you can know the flow of the Bible and understand those things. Well, from here, he's going back home. He's going to his house, and look what it says in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, 
he departed from there. Now, we think he's been in the northern part, probably most likely at Capernaum, and, and he's going to go back to Nazareth. Now, notice it says, he came to his hometown and began teaching them in the synagogue, so they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom in these miraculous powers. So when you think about it, let me just show you something real quickly. Nazareth, and it's not, it's not very easy to see. Here's the Sea of Galilee, and he's been about right there. But if you find Nazareth is way down here. And I've got a better map that I think looks, looks a little bit better. He has been at Capernaum. He's gone over Bethsaida. He's gone across the sea there. He's gone across the sea to there. He comes down to there a lot. And, and a lot of times they'll, he's come all the way down there one, at one other time. He's left Capernaum and he's gone back to Nazareth. Now, when you hear, we hear Nazareth all the time because we say Nazareth because that's where, you know, Jesus grew up and everything. But Nazareth's a little bitty town. It wasn't a very big town. And Cana, right beside it, is where he did the first miracle. That's not a very big town either. He goes back to his hometown. Do you remember what I said a while ago? What happened the last time he went to his hometown? They tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. So now look what happens when he goes back to his hometown. Now, by the way, since he's been gone, people talk about him everywhere. They're all saying there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's doing miracles, and some people think he's from the devil, and some people think he's from God, and he's got disciples following him. It's even a rumor that he fed a bunch of people. It's a rumor that he walked on water. There's all kind of things happening. We don't even know what to think about this man. And so he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue, so they were astonished. The word astonished means amazed. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers. How does he know all this stuff? Because we know who he is. Notice, is this not the carpenter's son? Because see, Joseph is not really Jesus' father, but he's helped raise Jesus. He was a carpenter. He said, isn't this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary? Yeah. And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? You may have never realized that Jesus had four brothers and he had at least two sisters because notice, look, and his sisters, are they not with us? So there were four boys, two girls, and Jesus, they had seven kids in the family. Do you think about it that way or not? And let's talk about these boys for a second. The brothers of Jesus, the James. James is the one that wrote the book of James in the Bible. Best we can tell, James did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. That's the best we can tell. James ultimately became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem and wrote the book of James. Then there's one came Joseph, more likely named after the dad. Then there's Simon. And then there's one called Judas, which most people call Jude. And he wrote the book of Jude in your Bible. He was one of the brothers, we'd say half-brother of Jesus Christ. And so the people in Nazareth say, wait a minute. Who is this guy? We know who he is. We know who his daddy was. We know who his mother was. We know who his brothers were or are. We know who his sisters are. And then that, look at this verse 56. And his sisters, are they not with us? And it says, where then did, and the way it's written in the Greek, it says, where then does this man get all these things? It's really emphasized. Where did this guy get all these things? And then notice, and they took offense at him. They took offense. They went, who do, you, who do you think you are, God? Yeah, yeah, that's who he is. I mean, that's people say, who do you think you are, God? Oh, yeah, Jesus could say, yeah, well, yeah, I am. And when they, when they arrested him, when they put him there, and, and the high priest said, 
declare, are you the son of God? And he said, yeah, I am, and you're going to see me come in my power, in my glory. That's who he is. He's the son of God. John 1.11 says he came into his own and his own received him not. He came to his Jewish people and offered himself as the Messiah and King and as a people, not, not individually. A lot of Jewish people trusted him, but as a nation, they rejected him. And look what he says. So Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And that's true. You know, when you know somebody famous, you go, oh, they're not so good. We know him. We watched him play in the street when they were kids. And now they're a rock star, you know, or something like that. And so they said, we saw Jesus grow up. His daddy was a carpenter. We used to watch him work with his daddy in the carpenter shop. We know who his mother is. We know who his sisters are. We know who his brothers are. So he's no big deal. You're going to tell us that that guy growing up is God? Answer is, yeah, that's exactly who he is. He's the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And notice what it says. He did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. He can do anything he wants to. But a lot of things depend on us. Are we going to trust him or not? Listen, the more we trust and rely upon God, the more he can do through us. You want to see great things? Trust him. Say, Lord, take my life. Use me for your glory. We've been studying the prayer of Jabez in our grow groups. And Jabez says, take my life. Use me to do things beyond what we could imagine. If you trust him, he's going to do things beyond you can imagine. Tell him right now. Say, Lord, I want you to take my life, and I want you to use me to do things beyond what I could imagine. See, he didn't do much there because they rejected him. He said he didn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. At least this time they didn't try to kill him. But they rejected him. And they said, we know him. He's nothing. He's just a regular guy. He's not a regular guy. We've seen the last parable. We've seen the response by the disciples that they understood it. We've seen the rejection of Jesus at his hometown. So let me give you some applications just to think about. And the first one is, let's, let's realize the purpose of the parables. Now remember, it's a little bit strange because overall, the purpose of the parables was to give more and more information to the believers and less information to the unbelievers. But, but one of the great truths is this. The, the more, whoops, I went the wrong way, sorry. <clears throat> As believers, since we can understand the Bible, let's dig it. Let's dig the truths of the Bible. Let's study it. Let's know it. Let's apply it. Let's make sure that we can understand these things, that we know to call the old and the new and how it fits together. Let's be sure and do that. And let's be ready to share with others. Let's take what we know and pass it on. How are people going to know the truth of the gospel and to know about Jesus if we don't tell them we have to do that? The second thing is let's understand the end-time events dealing with the kingdom. Think about it. You can know them, and they're not that hard, and we know that Jesus comes to rule, and there's our slide. Just remember, this is Jesus died and rose again. This is where we are. The truth is we're toward the end. It's getting worse and worse and worse, and both Peter and Paul wrote that in the latter days, things are going to get worse and worse and worse, and we're in the last days, and it's getting worse and worse. Jesus is going to come back and get us and take us out. It's called the rapture. It can happen at any second. In fact, it can happen right here. It can happen right this second. There are no signs. There are no miracles. There's nothing got to happen. Jesus could come get us, and then there'll be that seven years, the final years of the Jewish people, and then the end of the age when Jesus comes back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All these parables are dealing with the kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven is like 
The kingdom of heaven is the thousand-year reign of Christ. So just remember, he comes to rule. And just remember, there's going to be a separation of believers and unbelievers. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you're sitting, right now, you can put your faith in Christ as your Savior to give you eternal life right now. One more. Realize that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Now, when they looked at this, they thought Jesus was just somebody else. He's just an ordinary guy. He wasn't. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But we could look at our lives and say, well, we're just kind of regular old people, yeah? But you know what he does? He takes regular old people and he uses us to do things beyond what we could imagine. So let's, let's realize that. Ask him. Tell him, Lord, take my life. Use me for your honor and your glory. That's what we want. And, and whether it's at school or your job or work or uh, children or home or church or whatever, ask him, take my life. Use me for your glory.